0: Hi all, welcome to Talkathon with Suleiman State. This is me Suleiman here and joining in the podcast series with me is my friend Aman and Shreyas. And we also have a doctor guest from uh, Chennai. His name is Deepak. Uh, as you know, you know there's been a lot of information which is going on on the internet and people speaking a lot about the pandemic and there's, there's an essence of fear that is around. So I decided to, you know, have a podcast series uh, with two of my very best friends and add a doctor along who can speak more on the claritive uh, way how we can handle this situation and to take it further from here uh, I will be having support of Aman and uh, Shreyas so as many of them might might be knowing uh, Aman has been a close friend of mine for the last uh, uh, around 15 years plus a month I guess yes 20. 20. 20. Well, it's come to 20 years now. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> Shreyas for over a decade, and same with uh, Deepak, who will be the uh, doctor who will be speaking on the show today. Uh, so, Aman and Shreyas are both engineers by profession. Uh, Aman has actually completed his computer science engineering, <laughs> and he's someone who's very much interested uh, in uh, having world facts and uh, numbers. It interests him a lot. He, he is a quizzer as well. And uh, what do you have to say about Shreyas? Shreyas is all in all uh, into most of these things as well as uh, Aman. So we three share the same uh, introspect on multiple uh, things and that is how we got along. Uh, to introduce uh, my other uh, friend and who is going to be the major speaker as well for today's uh, podcast is Dr. Deepak. Uh, he did study his 11th and 12th along with me at Asan Memorial. And then he went on to study his medicine at Satyasai uh, Medical College, Sri Satyasai Medical College, if I have to pronounce it right. And then for the last four years, he has been working at multiple uh, corporate hospitals. And now he is working at a private hospital and medical college, whereby he is actually on the ground uh, screening and working along with the corona patients or corona cases which are coming forward in the NOPE. So, to start the podcast and to move ahead, Uh, I would like to have Aman give us a small uh, introduction to the topic on what Corona exactly is and you know where we are uh, going and we will have a basic kickoff with Aman and uh, Shreyas who will be giving a small intro and then we will be verifying points time to time with Deepak. Go ahead Aman.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, So the story goes that uh, in November There was reports of some mysterious flu-like disease going around in China, around in Wuhan. And uh, slowly, slowly, like uh, till the end of December, it spread around China. Uh, There were many people uh, down with that particular uh, disease. And uh, on 31st of December, uh, China reported that disease to the UHO. Turns out this disease was uh, caused by a type of uh, virus from the coronavirus family. Uh, which we now know as known as uh, Sars-CoV-2, uh, so which was also known as novel novel coronavirus because it was sort of a new uh, virus, so that uh, no no existing uh, virus was related to this particular thing, uh, and this proved a big challenge because we don't we didn't have any vaccination against it. We don't know any type of treatment was going around. There was no information available about the dis, uh, this virus. And the strange thing was it was very infectious and uh, which slowly became a pandemic. And it uh, it needed a world support around the world to uh, tackle this particular uh, disease.
2: Yeah, sure, yep. you want to add something? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh... Uh, Aman has actually given us a gist of what this particular disease has been and uh, how it uh, was spread and uh, yeah it started off uh, from one of uh, China's wet markets where multiple uh, uh, animals are traded live and dead and uh, from there on it's been passed on from human to human uh, it has a strange uh, similarities to uh, the 2002-2003 outbreak of SARS the original SARS outbreak, uh, because it's of the same family, and uh, the the virus is also a part of the family that caused us uh, the mass outbreak in 2012, 2014, I think. 2012. Um, yeah, so 2012, exactly. So, uh, so uh, this virus is not actually new for us. We've until now we've actually isolated seven types of uh, coronavirus Trains. Strains of coronavirus. Strains, yeah, exactly. Strains of uh, coronaviruses that would actually infect in humans. So this is not a new coronavirus. Uh, I mean, the coronavirus family is not new to us, but this mm-hmm. particular type mm-hmm. of a coronavirus is in, is, uh, is new for us. Right. Nice. Okay. Uh, so moving
0: on, you know, like uh, good that you gave a brief introduction for us to have a background and for people who do not know what exactly coronavirus is or where did it exactly come from. So good that you have given us a small, short introduction. So I'm sure most of them might have an idea. Uh, But moving on, I'd like to have uh, Deepak uh, speak on what are the signs and symptoms that we can actually see uh, when people could possibly have coronavirus the novel coronavirus are okay.
3: the yeah so, yeah so basically the m- main problem with the coronavirus is that the whole family is basically having two types of symptoms they show both respiratory as well as gastrointestinal symptoms and uh, the respiratory system uh, symptoms can uh, vary from simple flu like symptoms like cough cold fever which can extend to uh, pneumonia which is basically a lower respiratory tract infection affecting your lungs which can further uh, aggravate to an ARDS, which is an Acute Mm -hmm. Respiratory Distress Syndrome. Uh, And uh, most of the respiratory infections in humans, around Mm -hmm. 5 to 10% of the infections in humans, is caused by the coronavirus. Uh, Think about that. So, the 5 to 10% of all the cases having respiratory symptoms are caused by the coronavirus. But out of that, how to differentiate between whether it is a normal flu Or it is a coronavirus, uh, it is a COVID-19, or uh, as he said, uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection, is by the symptoms itself. Uh, The thing which is actually being given by many uh, institutions right now, uh, normal flu can be differentiated from uh, coronavirus by the following methods. The first method is that when you have a normal cough, cold uh, without fever. And you don't have a very dry cough. You don't have a very, a uh, lot of throat infect, uh, irritation. It usually can be a normal flu. It does not need to be a COVID infection. The main symptom they say to differentiate the disease from a normal flu is a severe fever, uh, a low grade to high fever lasting for more than five days. Uh, what they say the symptoms can vary. So, but that does not mean just having a flu does not mean that you might not, uh, you, you're you definitely not having COVID 19. If you have the mild flu like symptoms, you're advised to stay at home and take supportive medications and stay away from people, maintain social distancing and wear a mask so that you don't spread it to anyone else. Suppose it is a COVID infection. But if you don't have COVID infection and you still have the mild flu like symptoms and you come to a COVID ward, you might develop the infection. That's why they're telling you to stay at home. Okay. After that, Moving on to the second scenario, patient has a mild fever. Uh, he has a dry cough, he has a cold, but it's for less than three days. Uh, these are symptoms of a normal uh, upper respiratory tract infection, again, like the flu. So what they're saying, because fever is that to rule out any bacterial causes, you should take an antibiotic such as uh, which is being um, given over the counter in many pharmacies. Uh, you can take azithromycin for probably uh, three days and see if the symptoms are going down. If even after five days, your symptoms are not going down, you feel the symptoms are becoming worse or you're developing any type of breathlessness or you're developing any high fever which is not uh, subsiding with the antibiotics and supportive treatment, then only then are you advised to come to a coronavirus screening area which is present in many private colleges and all government colleges right now. The thing is, uh, the coronavirus, the problem is that it can also uh, come as a gastrointestinal system. It can show you uh, signs of gastrointestinal infection, like diarrhea or vomiting or stomach pain as well with a low-grade fever, without showing any signs of flu. That is what is kind of uh, confusing about this disease. So the main symptom which uh, points towards a COVID-19 infection is with supportive care, still you're having a fever for more than five days.
0: Okay, Deepak, that's good to know about the signs and symptoms and how we can differentiate it from, you know, the flu and all those things. Aman, you want to add something along to this? You want to add something? Yeah.
1: So, uh, Deepak, uh, there have been many cases of patients reporting a sense of loss of uh, smell or taste when they're suffering from COVID-19. So, is it a general symptom or specific to certain patients?
3: Uh, The thing is, uh, the loss of smell and taste comes with even normal flu. I think even when all of us would have had a flu, right? Right. When you have a normal flu itself, you do have the loss of uh, sense of taste and smell, Mm. which is uh, is a common symptom for all uh, flu viruses. So it's not a specific symptom for COVID-19.
0: Uh, Deepak, good that you gave us an introduction on how we can differentiate between uh, COVID-19 and the other flus. So moving on, I want you to speak a little about the testing and the techniques which are currently being deployed for testing of coronavirus in people.
3: Okay, so there are actually basically two types of testing which are available right now. Yes. One is where you test, uh, there is something called an antigen, which is what is there on the virus and there is something called a spike protein on the virus which is used to bind to the cell in our body which is uh, specifically a type of uh, cell inside the alveoli which is a part of your lung uh, called the titroneumocyte so this spike protein uh, is one way of testing uh, whether the virus has infected you because it is present in blood when the virus enters the cell so what you do is you test for the spike protein little longer time to test uh, an antigen uh, to, uh, test an antigen because uh, a particular load of antigen is required for it to show a positive test the uh and they what they do the testing which uh method which is used for that is called an rt pcr which is a method of amplifying the amount of antigen in the blood and then testing for it so that is called rt pcr yeah
0: that is
3: real uh, not going too much reaction. into detail about that that is one type of thing.
2: yes yes
3: yeah, real time polymerized chain reaction. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that is one type of testing. Yeah. And then there is another type of testing uh, which uses our uh, cell response to this antigen uh, through uh, which is the antibodies which are produced by our body, by our WBCs, the white blood cells in our body produces th- these antibodies in response to the antigen which is there in the blood to destroy these uh, antigens. So that has two types of testing. Uh, Either they check for IgM or they check for IgG. These are two types of uh, antibodies which are produced by a body. Depending on the uh, duration of the uh, infection, these antibodies appear. So Ig uh, IgM is the first antibody which appears as an acute phase uh, reactant, which is basically what happens as soon as the virus enters your body. And uh, you are testing for uh, that in an acute case scenario and that shows you whether the patient has an infection or not and it's a faster method of testing also they okay. test with uh, antibodies and then it also gives you an idea of whether the patient has come in contact with the disease when you test for the igg which is a long um, which is uh, produced in your body uh, over a period of time as a response to the infection even after the infection has settled down the igg antibody can still be positive shows shows the immunity of the person that he's immune to this disease
0: okay it's good to have you throw some light on the testing techniques which are currently available because i'm sure most of our listeners might not have an idea about what exactly is happening in the uh, diagnostic segment as well uh, so moving on you know like everybody is worrying about this disease condition and there's a lot of talk and panic going around so i want you to give us an idea how dangerous is this COVID-19 the main question which the population wants to hear how dangerous is COVID-19
3: so as uh, has pointed out the coronavirus is not a new uh, virus which has suddenly emerged into our uh, uh, life there were already seven types of viruses which have caused uh, six types of viruses which have caused infection in the past and uh, out of these six types, four of them are mild, so we're not going too much into detail about that. But there are three three viruses, including the virus which has come now, which are showing very severe symptoms. Which are SARS-CoV-1, this is the first coronavirus which uh, appeared in 2003. And then we have the MERS-CoV, which is uh, SARS-CoV is uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 1. And then we had the mers code, which is the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome coronavirus. And then now we are coming up with the SARS-CoV-2. This is, the, again, the second uh, second type of uh, virus, which is very similar to the SARS virus. So to get an idea about the dangerousness or the fatality of this virus, we definitely need to compare these three viruses. So the fatality rate when you see for SARS is around 10 10- Person, which means one out of every 10 people who are infected may die and uh, MERS shows an, uh, a fatality rate of around 34.4% which is around 35% which means out of hundred people who are infected 35 people uh, may move on to uh, fatal conditions and then there's a SARS-CoV-2 which has a fatality rate of two to three percent which is out of 10 people who are infected, two to uh, out of 100 people who are infected, 2 to 3 people can die of the disease, right? And also uh, the disease, uh, we have to understand something very uh, significant about this disease, is that the fatality rate, although being very low, the communicability of the disease or the transmission rate of this disease is very high. It is so high that one person can infect three people. And you may think this is not a big deal, but then those three people can again infect many people and it keeps multiplying like that. So the infectivity of this disease, the communicability of this disease is very high. Thus, the number of cases who are infected are very high. So when around 10,000, 20,000 people are getting affected and out of those 10,000, 20,000 people, 200 to 300 people are going to die, it becomes a very serious thing. So the only way to actually reduce the uh, reduce the load of the virus on human uh, society is probably to reduce the transmission rate, which is what all governments right now are trying to do by employing uh, so many methods like social distancing and wearing a mask so that you don't spread it to other people, and so many other things. Yeah, uh uh, delving into, which we will go into more detail as we go on. Yeah. But what you need to know basically right now is that even this 2-3% to 3% fatality rate they are saying cannot, uh, might not be absolutely uh, right because there are a lot of cases who are subclinical and there are a lot of cases who are uh, thinking they have the normal flu stay back at home so they don't come to the hospital, so they don't come into the census. So the uh, denominator which is basically the number of cases may be even higher. And the, only the fatality we are seeing. So, the fatality rate can even be as low as 1%. person. We don't know yet. Until the virus is brought under control, we don't know the fatality rate yet.
0: Thanks, uh, Deepak, for giving a good insight onto the epidemiological numbers of the case and uh, the fatality rates uh, with the numbers specifically. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, there are people who are still wondering uh, whether they should go out or they should not go out or in case they are going out for essential services or important activities, how important is it for them to wear a mask and will a mask really protect them?
3: Uh, as of now, there are two different types of masks. So we have to uh, look into detail on why what mask is for what, okay. right? So the first type of mask, which I'm pretty sure everyone knows about, is the uh, two ply surgical mask, uh, which has two layers. And uh, this mask only gives you a one way protection. So this is basically to prevent the spread of the disease from a person who's affected to other people. And it only is effective for three to four hours. After three to four hours, it has no effect. One. Because the mask becomes moist with your breath. So this mask is advised. Now it has been made uh, uh, compulsory to wear the mask to prevent the spread of the disease from you to people. Because even people who are not showing any symptoms can still spread the disease, so it is advisable that everyone wears this mask. But even more advisable is that you stay at home. That's the if you are going out, better to wear a mask so that you don't spread it to someone. But more importantly, is the social distancing and staying at home is more important.
0: Okay. Uh, so Deepak you also are supposed to mention how well efficient will a cloth mask be and uh, when is an N95 mask coming into the scene and uh, what are the WHO recommendations so, on wearing a mask. So I guess you can throw some more insight onto these points as well.
3: So when we use a normal surgical mask, it does not uh, provide any uh, protection towards you developing, uh, you picking up the virus from the environment. but it does give up to 85 to 90% uh, protection to other people from getting the disease from you right because it gets stuck in the two layers it does not go past the two layers but the other people who are not wearing a uh, other people who are not wearing a mask if they come and uh, spread the disease to you you have no protection from the mask so again again uh, although who is saying masks are very important again social distancing and staying at home is very much more important than that because you don't know who has the disease and the n95 mask is basically a foliar mask which uh, gives you a two-way protection it does not let your breath your uh, your um, if you have corona it does not let your uh, corona go outside your body and also does not uh, allow the coronavirus from other people to come inside when you're breathing so that's called an N95 respirator, and it's in the name itself. It gives up to 94.8 percent, or approximately 95 percent, protection towards all uh, aerosols, for that matter.
0: Okay. So why? And
3: the it... requirement you're asking for N95.
0: Right? Yes, exactly my point.
3: Okay, so the requirement for the N95 is for people who are going to come in contact with. The aerosols of infected patients, which is basically anyone, uh, aerosol is basically what is released while you're. Suppose you have uh, the patient is not able to breathe and you're supposed to intubate the patient. Uh, during intubation, there's a lot of stress on the respiratory tract. So the when the patient is breathing, whatever uh, liquid is there in the respiratory tract uh, gets turned into minute, uh, minute droplets, which come outside the respiratory tract and can be picked up by the healthcare professional. So, in that situation, you are advised to wear an N95 mask to prevent that from coming into your respiratory tract. And also, N95 is advised for people who are going to be working in close proximity with uh, patients uh, who are positive, uh, truly positive for coronavirus. It is not required for everyone to wear an N95 mask because that will just drive up the price and reduce the availability of the mask for people who really need it.
0: Uh, Aman wants to add something, I guess. Am I? Uh, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. So, so there's this talk about formites, uh, formites, uh, which means the infectious surface which has been infected by the p- uh, person who has this particular disease. So, uh, any surface, uh, for example, could be metal or cardboard, which, if an infectious surface t- uh, touches that particular thing, uh, will uh, let the sp- uh, virus stay. There for some time, like for one day, two days, three days, depending on the material of that particular surface. So does that have a big role to play of infecting a person with this disease?
3: It definitely has a very big role to play with it. That's why you're you're always told to wash your hands and uh, sanitize, which is actually a basic rule. But now it is more important now than before that you wash your hands and you uh, sanitize your environment, immediate environment. Uh, which is very important because it does stay on surfaces and there is a protocol that each surface, each material has a different time uh, of uh, uh, maintaining the viral load. But again, you cannot trace this. It's very difficult to trace how much time it has been since someone has sneezed on this surface and all that you cannot trace. So what, what I would suggest is there is a way of preventing the spread from a surface to people. By using the 5% bleach or uh, hypochlorite as it's called in science, 5% hypochlorite solution, you spray it on all surfaces which you feel have come in contact like doorknobs, handles, uh, glass tables where a lot of patients are coming around or a lot of people have been sneezing or coughing in that area. Probably use 5% bleach or 5% hypochlorite solution and clean the surface. And more importantly, wash your hands with all the six. Um, there are six steps to washing your hands so that you don't miss any part of your hand, which is followed <laughs> by almost all <laughs> surgeons in the world, universally. And you that they say 20 seconds. I still uh, still feel that you have to follow all six steps. It's available online. There are a lot of tutorials about it. You can look it up. And uh, even when you're sanitizing, it is important to follow these six steps because personally, I've seen people just take the sanitizer and just. You know, uh, rub one hand alone with it, and the other hand they hold something and they just go. There's no point of sanitizing like that. You have to follow the six steps and miss no part of your hand when you're sanitizing as well as washing your hand.
0: Oh, that's wonderful, Deepak. Forgive me. Have I answered your question? Aman, I hope you have. Anything anything else? Uh, So, there's one more point in regard to the face mask, which I guess we are uh, uh, supposed to be discussing even more further or throw some light onto it. And that is, will cloth masks be efficient in any way?
3: Uh, Well, the cloth masks which use uh, two plies are efficient uh, to a certain extent. Again, just like the surgical mask, it is effective to a certain extent. So, because of the, when there is no availability of uh, surgical masks, then obviously you can use a cloth mask, uh, which has two layers. A single layer cloth mask has no effect, wearing a, I mean, obviously having some protection is better than having no protection, but it is not as effective as a two layer cloth mask or using a kerchief. Even if you use a two ply, uh, that is, if you fold the kerchief into two parts and make sure it's uh, tightly sealed on your face, even that provides a a level of uh, protection, at least some protection.
0: Okay. So that is a very good insight that, you know, most people who go out or, you know, they just walk or stroll out, which is still not advised. So, or just who are trying to have some interaction I guess it is much better to ensure that they are following social distancing and they do cover up their nose and mouth when they are uh, doing the same so moving on uh, this is a very important uh, part of this uh, uh, podcast that we really want to speak about and this is regarding the treatment options which are currently available for the critical and the not so critical uh, COVID-19 patients
3: Uh, So looking at the treatment of uh, COVID-19 still there are a lot of uh, confusions which are going on a lot of research which is going on and uh, it is easy for people to get confused. So I want to point out exactly what is being done in a hospital when they're treating a COVID-19 patient. So what they do for a patient who's having very mild symptoms again is just supportive care which is symptomatic treatment like giving paracetamol for the fever. Uh, giving uh, probably some cetism for the cold and the cough and giving some uh, uh, chlorphenolamine malleate cough syrup for the throat like uh, Benadryl, or uh, you know there are a lot of syrups uh, Ascoril or whatever syrup you're going to use and also giving them checking that their uh, saturation of oxygen in their blood is maintained uh, at or above 94% with Ruma if it is not maintained at 94% then you give respiratory support Starting with oxygen, you give uh, 100% oxygen or 80% oxygen depending on how severe the person person's breathlessness is, right? So uh, they give you the oxygen first and if the, main, uh, the uh, saturation is maintaining with just oxygen and supportive treatment, they do not go further with treatment plans or anything like that suppose after this also a patient is having very severe symptoms is not developing is not uh, improving from his symptoms is still showing uh, signs of declining into probably a very severe state then there are a few uh, experimental uh, regimens which are being followed now one of which is the uh, hcq uh, a um, a which is famously quoted as h plus a regime by uh donald trump the honorable president so basically when you use hcq with uh, azithromycin hcq being uh, hydroxychloroquine uh, you should first know about these two drugs uh, hydroxychloroquine is having both anti-inflammatory effects and also has effects on the malarial trypanosoma pallidum uh, uh, this thing uh, the uh, organism so that is why it is being used for malaria and it has anti-inflammatory effects in cases of rheumatoid arthritis. And also for a few viral infections, it has been used in the past. So historically it has been used for viral infections when better antiretroviral uh, treatments were not available. So when you look at whether the treatment uh, with HCQ and uh, azithromycin is very effective, still a proper uh, clinical trial with uh, Considerable uh, case count has not yet been done to prove that this is effective. Uh, currently, a uh, uh, journal in uh, uh, in uh, England has published that it might not be as effective as they are saying it is. And then there's another; there are also contradicting uh, j- uh, journal entries by other uh, other institutions saying that it is effective. So right now, better to. Uh, let your doctor decide whether to give you hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin or not, depending on how clinically bad you are. You do not. Uh, I would suggest people not to take it as a prophylactic measure because it ha- does have this uh, very bad side effect of causing heart attack. And also when you take without knowing the dosage and you take a large dose, it does cause some uh, retinal problems. Basically, your vision might get uh, disturbed. You might lose your vision. So it is not advised to take it without uh, close, uh, close medical supervision. Uh, and then there are a lot of retroviral drugs as which are available. But still, none of them have been uh, told uh, told to be very effective. Uh, the latest um, uh, research which has come out is saying that remdesivir, which is an, another anti-retroviral drug, is pretty effective in this disease. And they're also saying some antiretroviral drugs, which are used for HIV are also effective. And, uh, all this has to still be, you know, researched before we can come to a conclusion of whether these can be used as a treatment right now. Yes, so right now, according to the doctors, uh, according to the doctor's, uh, suspicion and according to the doctor's clinical mm-hmm. intuition, it can be used on a trial basis. Again, this is only uh, when it is a very severe case, not done for normal, you know, mild cases or moderate cases for that matter.
0: Okay. Uh, Deepak, I also want you to give us a little insight, you know, like uh, about people who are questioning us again and again regarding the fact that, you know, is it safe for me to take hydroxychloroquine? Uh, which is currently available and though there is a government restriction and ban which says that you know without a prescription uh, hydroxychloroquine cannot be dispensed in any of the pharmacies Uh, but people are still wanting to know uh, if they can take a prophylactic uh, treatment of that you did give us an insight onto this but i also want you to say what are the other possible adverse events and the drug interactions which come along with this well
3: uh, hydroxychloroquine as a drug has been in practice for a long time so we have a lot of insight about the side effects of this drug it has been used for a long period of times so uh, hydroxychloroquine as such the most adverse the most adverse and most serious side effect of this drug is uh, something uh, called QT prolongation which basically causes your heart uh, to stop pumping it causes a um heart attack as called by normal people it's called a heart attack uh, it's called uh, uh, co- uh, it is called a uh, uh, cardiac arrest in uh, clinical terms it can cause cardiac arrest this is the most adverse side effect of hydroxychloroquine other than that there are a lot of other side effects and drug interactions which are involved with the drug for example um, Uh, as uh, pointed out by my colleague who's with me here uh, it does have some cross reactions with diabetic medicines like insulin and uh, uh, also has a cross reaction with the usual very basic uh, BP medication like beta blockers Uh, so this can uh, aggravate the effect of the beta blocker and cause hypotension can cause heart attacks and also it has a lot of cross reactions with other multiple drugs or mainly for people who are taking multiple drugs for uh, diabetes and hypertension and all that those people are at very high risk of developing these side effects and it can also develop in normal people as well can even a normal person like the uh, like what happened recently in India uh, that can happen to anyone as uh, shown by the uh, number of people who are having these side effects.
0: And to throw some light onto the QT prolongations and all these things, uh, I would also want to add, you know, like uh, hydroxychloroquine is quite a bitter drug by taste. Uh, and uh, it will mostly be uh, aggravated with a really bitter taste on your uh, tongue as an aftertaste of the medicine. And uh, it is highly nauseating as well. And there is also a challenge of giving anti-nauseating uh, drugs like ondansetron because both in combination can again cause QT prolongation, arrhythmias and even uh, cardiac effects as well.
3: Definitely, definitely.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, there is one more question that is coming our way, and uh, I just want to add that along. So, you know, like, uh, the biggest question that comes over here is, you know, is hydroxychloroquine actually a myth, hype, or a reality?
3: I would say it is a hype. Okay. It's not a myth, because there are a few cases who are responded to it. Under very close medical supervision. Uh, and it is not completely useless. It is not completely useful either. So it is in between. It's probably hyped too much to an extent where uh, people are going and buying it over the counter, which is not something which doctors want to see right now because it does have side effects.
0: Okay. We have discussed about that sometime back. And moving on, you know, like the biggest question that comes here is what are the future avenues that you particularly see about where this coronavirus is going? Uh, Is social distancing the only option that we have?
3: No, there are a few options which are available, like the development of a vaccine, which is ongoing right now in multiple countries, in multiple universities. All of them are trying to develop a vaccine for it. But it is probably a year or a year and a half away before they finish the clinical trials and the efficacy of the vaccine and checking the human safety of this vaccine will take some time. So, uh, and also there are a few drugs which are they are trying to develop, which is uh, which is uh, targeting the receptor on which this uh, virus is going and binding, which is the, uh, which is basically the ACE2 receptor on the. Uh, type 2 pneumocytes present in the alveoli and this uh, receptor uh, they're trying to block this receptor with some molecule which is very similar to the spike protein on the virus or uh, they're trying to find a way in which they can probably make an AC2 receptor uh, clone which can bind to the viral spike protein and prevent it from binding to the host uh, AC2 receptor so there are a lot of things which are being researched as of now But uh, currently the best solution currently is probably social distancing, uh, maintaining personal hygiene, uh, maintaining distance from other people and uh, isolating yourself. If you feel you have the symptoms uh, of flu,
0: okay. Uh, So also, you know, like since I'm into the domain of clinical research and I have been working a lot into understanding, you know, what are the current uh, strategies which have been taken into place for the coronavirus treatment in the future, I must say that, you know, like Remdesivir uh, recently over a couple of days has been said to have a 68% uh, efficiency in clinical trials over other drugs uh, for coronavirus patients. So I guess it's a possible uh, candidate which can be used in the future if uh, furthermore safety is being uh, demonstrated for this drug so apart from that I also see yes. a, Yeah. Yes. apart from that I also see a few yes. preclinical uh, vaccines you know like a few vaccines which are in the preclinical stage and some of the bigger pharmaceutical companies have invested huge to ensure that you know they can come up with their vaccine however most of these vaccines are in the phase one or the phase two stage i think there's only one vaccine which is now moved on to the phase three trials and the regulatory bodies such as you know us fda or you have your uh, european medical agencies these agencies are actually supporting with fund and accelerated review process to ensure that uh, this uh, vaccine development process is accelerated, and uh, soon we can have a cure. So, I guess that is the direction in which uh, we are seeing uh, some treatment options which are uh, ready to be coming. So, that okay, is the so point. Clement, like,
3: yeah. how? Uh, yes. How far do you think it is away? Uh, like, how long do you think a vaccine to come into the market will take?
0: Uh, based on my, Realistically speaking. yeah. Based on my reading and understanding, it can take anywhere between 11 to 16 months uh, for us to have a clear cut idea. And then along because regulatory team is working alongside, I mean, regulatory in the sense the regulatory bodies who are supposed to approve the drugs, they're also working hand in hand with the pharmaceutical companies. So 11 to 16 months or a maximum of 18 months, we should be having a fully fledged vaccine in hand uh, for a long time uh, prevention. Okay. Yes. Aman, you want to add something to this?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, see, a lot of people might uh, ask this question. Why does the development of a vaccine takes this much time? Like uh, the time frame you've said is one to one and a half years. Right. So uh, I would like to add that this is if a vaccine is made in one and a half years, this would be a record time uh, for a vaccination to be made and be commercially available right Yes. Yeah. uh because uh, if you talk about uh, the vaccination for uh, vaccine for ebola it took around uh, i think one of years to two years to ma- develop it right uh, and uh, other vaccinations if you talk about you know like smallpox and other thing it took a long time to develop that vaccine uh the part of the reason i would like to say is that uh, you need to make sure that the vaccination is safe and since it's uh, related to your immunity you need to make sure on injecting this particular vaccination. You don't get any unwanted reaction uh, to this particular vaccine uh, from your body so that it kind of shocks your system. And, uh, you know, like talking that there's a term for that. Uh, you need to make sure that such, uh, such adverse reactions don't take place. And also, if when you're starting a human trial, you need to make sure sh- uh, you don't simply expose that human to a, a virus, you need to see whether that immunity has uh, developed naturally over time uh, to make sure this vaccination uh, works because in real life that's going to be the use case here
0: that's perfect yes and that's the reason why it takes quite some time uh, for vaccine development specifically and also in certain cases getting the right strain of virus is more important for vaccine development yeah so, moving on, we will be taking one important uh, piece of our today's uh, session before we go on to the question and answer session that our listeners have sent to us. So, I guess Shrias can give us some input in regard to this, uh, which is about maintaining a good uh, mental health at home uh, while we are all locked uh, during the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Shrias? Yeah, uh, that is
2: one of the one of uh, the most important stuff because uh uh because because we are isolated within ourselves within within four walls or within our family right now uh, most of the uh, new cases of of uh, depressions are uh, lack of interaction with people lack of uh, um, you know motivation to do anything not going out per se and uh and also because of this there has been a lot of spike in uh, um in in, in uh, diverse divorce cases all over the world uh, sadly uh, there are a lot of cases which are not reported with respect to you know um uh, uh, domestic abuse as well but we'll come to that later but uh, firstly uh, we have to ensure that we are in a good sound mental health Uh, and in order to do that yeah we can we have to interact more with the people we are isolated with Um, and especially myself being away from uh, from my family in another foreign country right now it's a little difficult to stay and it's because um, the, the mind always thinks about what is happening in India and also the mind also thinks about what is happening in my own city over here so It's a double-edged sword where I'm sitting right now. Personal uh, uh, experience, I would like, I would say, this is the best time to spend more time with the people you are isolated with. It may be your flatmates, it may be your roommates, it may be the persons. Uh, It is, social distancing means uh, not staying isolated, but you can also keep keep in a, a, Stay in touch with people over phones, over over Skype, over other online uh, apps, uh, video calling apps. And also have a good game of indoor board games. For example, play video games online or in person. For people who are extroverts, this is the perfect time to, to venture and get to know your friends better. Get to know the people who are who you are living with better. Get to know your neighbors better. And also, if you if you look to make the mood, uh, you can also develop a few hobbies or redevelop your own old hobbies. So, so it's better to keep yourself involved, keep yourself occupied over something. Drawing some caricatures, watching some movies, watching all the bucket list movies that you one would have had, to uh, you know, listed down, like Captain America writes down in, uh, in, in Civil War. You know, it's the stuff that ha- he has missed that. This is the time to catch up on a lot of things. Get, uh, uh, yeah, sitting on a couch is always, you know, kinds, kind of feels depressive, but uh, well, this is the our time to shine Stay, by staying at home.
0: That's wonderful and very insightful, share And I'd also like to give an insight to our listeners, you know, uh, that it's not only about uh, sitting at home and doing nothing. You can do indoor exercises. Uh, you know you can actually start eating healthy as well you know you can start cooking on your own or you can start eating healthy Uh, it's more important that you know you focus on your own self and find ways you can improve yourself as a person so this is something which uh, one can do at the max while they are at home amidst this uh, lockdown situation which most of us are facing at the moment so apart from that I also uh, can say you know it's the right time to rediscover those hobbies and even to add a point you know uh, there was one time when we were very regular with doing a podcast uh, Aman shreyas and me and today here we are you know as a matter of fact trying to understand different ways we can start our podcast back again and we decided to go with the very important topic uh, here so Anyways, more like the elephant, the
2: smallest elephant in the room, to, yeah. to, we have started to address the smallest elephant in the room, yes. even though hopefully it is not <laughs> in this room.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, so moving on, you know, the most important part, which I like about the podcast, which we usually uh, do is answer questions. So today we do have a handful of questions, which came over the last uh, three and a half four hours over a single post that I uh, left over some of my social media platforms. Uh, to start up with i have a good question and this is something we never discuss as well uh, aman can give us an insight onto this very well is this corona virus a bio weapon aman
1: uh, okay uh, see i've been looking at a lot of arguments about this uh, and uh, one thing to be uh, noticed is uh, if you want to make something a weapon. It should be very effective. And uh, the thing is, if you see, as Deepak discussed, the morality rate of this particular virus is one percent. You have, I mean, there are many viruses out there which has an even higher morality rate. Like the MERS virus, which is having thirty-four percent. The SARS is having ten percent. Uh, the, I mean, uh, Ebola has uh, even higher rate out of it. Uh, you could have manufactured a bioweapon out of those viruses and another thing is uh, a virus which can easily be destroyed by washing your hands. I don't think uh, you're going to use that virus as a bioweapon and uh, another uh, argument supporting it is uh, if a country wants to manufacture a bioweapon, it will also make a vaccination beforehand to protect itself and its citizens against that virus and clearly that hasn't happened we are still we are saying okay virus takes about like one and a half years to manufacture if someone has manufactured that bioweapon before that the vaccination should have been ready at that particular point of time also so that they could have released the bioweapon in the environment in a safe manner for their own country
0: (laughs) fine that's a very uh, vague topic if you go deep into it so i would not want to get yeah. into different conspiracies that are revolving around it so you want to add something on uh,
2: see yeah i would like to i, I would like to add, uh, take a leaf out of dan brown's book and also the subsequent movie that came out oh yeah i forgot the name sir. Go yeah the inferno thank you the, yeah, yeah exactly so uh, most of these ideas are coming uh, uh, after watching after people watching movies like inferno or or, or contagion and uh, pandemic etc 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 you do have certain cases of a uh, bioweapon being generated but uh, to add to, uh, to just to second what uh, aman has uh, has said already bioweapons uh, uh, th- this virus is cl- is clearly not a bioweapon because bioweapon development is already happening with respect to the viruses that have that we already have a vaccine for, for example, for anthrax, because uh, there are evidence from Soviet Union's old records that uh, they were create, they were, they were, there was a functioning lab in the L.C., which was looking to uh, make anthrax as a bi- bioweapon.
0: Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, our next question is, what is the difference between MERS versus SARS versus Ebola versus SARS-CoV-2? I'm repeating once again, MERS. Versus SARS, versus Ebola, versus SARS-CoV-2. Uh,
2: is this uh, find the odd one out?
0: <laughs> no, it's not about finding the odd one out. Yes, we do know. Uh, you know, these are all outbreaks. So, on a layman term, a friend of mine wanted to understand the differences. Deepak.
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, so, you want to know the difference between? First, let's discuss the odd one out, which is Ebola. Which is a different uh, viral family altogether. So it is not a part of the uh, coronaviral family. And uh, it has the thing about Ebola, which is both its uh, downfall and uh, making it so scary, is that Ebola has a very, very high mortality rate. Uh, a very, very high mortality rate in the sense it's uh, it, it does not, what happens when the mortality rate is really high? Is that the disease cannot spread too much because the person who is supposed to carry the, the infection uh, is passing away really fast. So that is a problem with uh, Ebola, right? Uh, the uh, mortality rate was so high that it actually was restricted uh, to a few countries because uh, once the disease uh, came into the person, within a couple of days, the, the person developed very serious symptoms. And the person uh, passed away pretty fast. So the fatality rate is, was varying from country to country, which was because there were multiple outbreaks, there is a variation in the mortality rate, which varies from 25 to 90 percent, the mortality rate of the disease. And because of the high mortality rate, the whole world got together to find a vaccine for it. And it took around one and a half years for the vaccine to come out, which is available now. Uh, and uh, so that is about Ebola and when you come to the corona uh, the SARS-CoV-1 which was the first uh, outbreak uh, per se which was in actually they say the date is a little varying it might be 2002 or 2003 uh, it started in 2002 but came, to world, um, came into the eyes of the world in 2003 so it actually started in uh, Guangdong province of China it is a B lineage of beta coronavirus and the way it spread was it came from bats. Almost all coronaviruses come from bats and it came from bats, went into another mammal, the civet, uh, which is a feline, went into the civet and in the civet it developed and it mutated enough to go infect humans. And uh, the recorded outbreak uh, lasted from February 2003 to July 2003. There were around 8,000 cases, uh, out of which 774 people died. So that's a fatality rate of around 9.6%. So it is a mildly higher uh, fatality rate than the SARS-CoV-2, which we are seeing right now. And, uh, but again, the infectious, the uh, communicability of the disease was not very high. So there were only 8,000 cases which were recorded. The second outbreak because of the coronavirus was called, caused by the MERS, which is the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, which was in 2012 in Saudi Arabia. And again, it originated from bats. There is a lot of controversy saying it came directly from camels, but it actually came from bats, went into camels. And when the humans consume this camel meat, they develop the disease. Uh, most of the human viruses, uh, human viruses are either alpha or beta. Uh, and uh, MERS is also a beta coronavirus, that's a common point in all the three actually. All of them are beta coronaviruses. So, and the uh, MERS cost around 2,400 cases and uh, out of which 858 people died. So that's a fatality rate of close to 35%, which is considerably higher than the SARS-1. So actually, uh, the scientists and epidemiologists were um, were very scared of SARS-CoV-2 in the beginning because they felt the fatality rate would be even higher. But uh, the very smart thing which the vi- uh, coronavirus did was it re- reduced the fatality rate and also the development of symptoms also reduced. In uh, patients, it took and it increased the incubation period, which is the period from when the virus enters the body to when the disease uh, appears in the body. So it increased the incubation period to 14 days which caused the communicability of the disease to increase a lot because the fatality is also low uh, so it actually originated in 2019 end of 2019 around november december time and uh, it started in wuhan hubei province in china uh, there were around 26 cases before it was considered even as a global uh, as a epidemic in china uh, after 26 cases developed the same kind of symptoms, not responding to treatment is when China decided it to be a major thing and uh, informed the WHO. So there was a one month period when the disease started and when they informed WHO. So once they informed WHO, obviously they started shutting down the airports and all. But within that one period of time, the people who traveled out of China, the people who came into China all came in contact with this virus. And that is how the virus is spread so much all over the world and uh, looking at it is a novel beta coronavirus it is also a beta coronavirus but it is a new type of beta coronavirus which developed and uh, how it spreads is again as like all coronaviruses it started in bats and it moved on to a, a intermediate host which is pangolins and in pangolins it it mutated enough to infect humans and uh, it is showing a few similarities to SARS uh, meaning uh, that it has a similar uh, structure to SARS, but it is not very similar in the way it infects people. Uh, for example, uh, SARS was thought to be a risk. There was a ab spread was thought to be a possibility for SARS. But SARS-CoV-2 is showing a heavier type of virus. Uh, the virus settles down really fast. That is why they say the um, 10 feet distance and the social distancing is very important because the virus settles down it does take some time to settle down but it settles down in a few minutes and uh, the fatality rate being very low but the communicability being very high is what is very serious about this uh, SARS-CoV-2 because it is spreading like wildfire as everyone knows right now the world is seeing a global pandemic which the last global pandemic was recorded in 1917 or 18 which was the Spanish flu uh, which also was a uh, which also showed a few similarities to this having a high communicability and showing an extended IPP So probably saying uh, the basic difference is probably in the fatality rates of the viruses and the way the virus from what uh, Intermediate host the viruses come from uh, And also the number of cases which are being seen
0: uh, Deepak the main part right? like really any other the... uh, probably Yeah, you can continue yes Yeah, you uh, tell me, please. The main part which I liked about you answering this question actually is the way you actually differentiated and gave us a deep insight into the intermediates, how uh, it transmitted to humans. You know, that is one of the most important factor, how uh, it spread. So that gives a big differentiating point on how this virus came into light. Yeah, uh, just to,
3: I just wanted to... uh, you know, put it like a, a quick uh, comparison so that people don't get confused too much. So the thing is, SARS showed around 8,000 cases. The SARS-CoV-1 showed 8,000 cases. The, MERS-CoV, uh, the MERS uh, uh, coronavirus showed around 2,400 cases. And the SARS-CoV-2, as of now, uh, looking at the live update, is around 1,795,747 uh, 1, cases. And showing a data of around 1% of around 110,000 deaths right now. And uh, look at the difference in the number of cases. SARS-1 was 8,000, MERS was 2,400. And look at where uh, we are going with this virus, which is not so fatal, but the spread is scary, right? And uh, probably another difference is, the, as you pointed out, the intermediate host, being uh, the civet for the SASCOVI one Camel for the MERS uh, and uh, sascovi 2 having the Pangolin as the current, uh, currently accepted uh, intermediate host.
0: That's wonderful. Uh, there's another interesting question that has come uh, to us in regard to this. And uh, this is uh, something which I want to speak. But before that, I guess uh,
2: Shreyas wants to add a point over here. <laughs> Yeah. yeah it took a while to catch her attention over there yeah um, another thing which I would like to add to what uh, Deepak has beautifully explained is that um, human transportation the extent of human transportation or the development of human transportation has is also inc- uh, directly proportional to the spread of the disease for example with uh, respect to uh, Spanish flu the the disease actually started in USA I think in Kentucky. And then because of the World War One that was happening and the US troops being sent to the uh, front lines in Europe, the flu went to Europe and they brought it back. Um, So this is similarly with respect to uh, the SARS, uh, first SARS outbreak of 2002, uh, which happened in China, uh, the, uh, the disease actually flew from Hong Kong. To the rest of the world, because China was not yet connected to the world, uh, they had opened the market only in '98, and they was they were still preparing themselves for their big economic boom. Uh, there, there were no uh, big uh, foreign investments in in China, and not much of exports were happening from China as well. So that's why the extent of the disease traveling from to the to the rest of the world was limited with uh, the first SARS outbreak in 2002-2003 in but right now with China being the centre of global economy, uh, all economic activities go through China, everybody go to China for tour, tourists come from China across the world now and that's the reason now we have a much bigger spread. I mean one of the other reasons why we have such a bigger spread because we have a lot of we have we have an improved uh, um, transportation system in China and also to China. And also China is very much con- connected to the rest of the world and thereby the spread is larger.
0: That seems to be a very valid point to add on to this. Thank you for giving us an insight onto that. Aman, you want to have a closing argument on this?
1: Yeah, uh, another reason I would like to add why coronavirus, this particular the, uh, coronavirus has been spread a lot i mean uh may a lot of people have been infected was initially many countries had not taken it seriously uh for example if we talk about italy or uh, uk or usa uh, they were not expecting they were thinking uh, like this would be another sars epidemic which would be contained in china southeast asia itself uh, as expected because we were having no idea about the it's a uh, spreading quality uh, about its infectiousness, uh, about that. So it was not taken that much seriously. And by the time, uh, you know, the story of Italy, uh, uh, you know, the disaster that Italy was in, uh, by the time it was too late for everyone to uh, see. And that, uh, seeing uh, what was the condition of Italy, uh, other countries started to uh, do lockdowns. And that's why we have been, uh, you know, kind of containing the spread. In other countries.
0: Okay. That's a valid point as well, Aman. So, I agree on that. So, Deepak, there's another question coming up for you which I wanted to add along. Uh, So, we all know that, you know, most of the Indians uh, have received the BCG vaccine from our childhood days. So, there's a talk which is going on saying that, you know, BCG vaccine which is given around at the childhood uh, is the reason why Indian cases are less at the moment. What do you have to say?
3: Uh, well, uh, talking about the BCG vaccine and how it, uh, provides immunity, you have to first know what BCG vaccine is given for it is being given for Uh, pulmonary uh, non-pulmonary TB cases it is not even very effective for pulmonary TB it is to prevent the complications and the uh, other uh, sites in which TB can uh, preventing uh, TB from developing in other sites of the body for example it can cause abscesses in other parts of the body so BCG was being given because these uh, other sites cause a more severe infection and more septicemia which is basically when your whole blood is infected by the, uh, the bacteria so because of that, to prevent that BCG was uh, developed uh, which is ba- uh, bacillus uh, calmed-durine which is the strain of the uh, TB which was used for developing this vaccine. And uh, so it is very, it is not really effective in the sense uh, towards pulmonary TB but it does give a protective uh, environment for your lung and uh, it prevents the lung from collapsing really fast. For some reason, some cross uh, reactions which have not yet been delved into uh, but clinically, looking at the cases and the response of people to treatment, it does not reduce the uh, chances of you getting the disease. But it reduces the chances of you getting the disease and becoming a very severe case. Okay, It does, uh, clinically. Mm-hmm. But it has not been proven as such uh, through any research or anything as of now. It's been su- suggested by a very renowned immunologist in India. But uh, still not being proven as such with a clinical trial.
0: Okay. Uh, So that's what, you know, I guess that is one active domain as well uh, where a lot of work is going on in trying to understand uh, whether, uh, you know, BCG is really being efficient enough in protecting Indians or not. I guess the same is being seen in other countries as well, you know, such as Japan where BCG is given at childbirth. So... Uh, that is the other reason, like I think other countries such as Hong Kong as well as taken to the scene, Demo- democratic countries where you know these vaccines are being preferred. So they might possibly have an effect, still I guess there's a lot of research which needs to be done to prove its efficiency. So that's the next question which is coming up uh, right now, uh, so this is quite interesting which people want to ask, like it is seen that uh, this uh, city of Wuhan, uh was able to contain coronavirus and they have opened up their streets and city at the moment any idea what model did wuhan city use to reduce the corona pandemic aman Shreyas, i guess you both uh, are is this directed to me aman uh,
1: Shreyas, yeah. yeah so uh, you know recently we did this uh indian government released this uh, app called uh, arogya setu right yes uh china released a, a, a app with particularly same features uh, initially and they asked every citizen i mean every citizen had to download that app and uh by that uh what happened uh, what was being tracked was movements of everyone so like uh who has uh they took all the details of corona infected uh people and then uh, they tried to trace it uh Uh, who have uh, met this corona uh, infected people and, uh, you know, try to declare uh, like uh, whether you are in danger or you are in, uh, you know, like uh, you have a chance of uh, getting infected or you're safe, you know, like uh, indicators like red, orange and green. Uh, And uh, they had this algorithm to uh, a big data algorithm to predict, to designate which areas could be uh, in what color, uh, what risk uh, level. Uh, that was one thing. Uh, another deal was like uh, since uh, you can easily uh, day enforce social distancing very, you know, like rigorously, like uh, you were trying to, uh, there was no one trying to go out uh, for two months. And maybe that's the reason why the disease came in control, uh, came under control in that particular country.
0: Okay, that seems to be a very valid answer for the question that was asked in regard to the Wuhan model. Uh, So, moving on, uh, there's a very funny question I might say in another term. So, the question is, can we depend upon Swiggy or Zomato for food to be delivered at home? Please answer. I guess Shreyas is more interested in answering. Oh no, he wants Aman to answer. Aman. (laughs)
2: I'm just looking if uh, one uh, which amongst us will actually you know blink first. See, 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 I'm cooking food myself,
1: so I'm not dependent on Swiggy and Sumatra right now. So I can't answer that. Uh, even though they're saying that they've uh, put some measures, including uh, contactless delivery, and uh, you know, like uh, enforcing certain hygiene standard uh, in their uh, you know the in their uh, delivery persons uh but uh, you can't still uh, you know like uh, you can't 100% be sure what's be uh, what is uh, the hygiene level at the source where the food is being made in the restaurant uh even though they say that uh, this uh, disease uh, the virus won't spread from the food itself uh you have to take care of the you know the plastic container and stuff like that uh most important thing is like you would uh, if you are sanitizing your groceries you should treat this uh, particular food delivery as a grocery too, and sanitize in the same manner before consuming it. I can say
3: that. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah. And, and also adding to it, I mean, from from what I've seen in Europe and uh, and also from the news in uh, from China and South Korea, two of the biggest uh, food delivery markets in the world, um, the food delivery industry is still running because there are there is a dem- there has been always a demand for it even in europe i can see uh, uh people working with Deliveroo, their version of swiggy going around delivering uh you know food there is also domino's running there they are delivering pizzas everywhere even the local pizza joints are uh, you know, home delivering their pizzas so this is not the time to be stupid per se it's we have to be cautious yes but not stupid so uh we can get our uh, food delivered if we can afford it yes but uh, it is uh, it is always better to cook us for, for ourselves right now because we are in you know we have a lot of me time and good to use it with uh, by trying new delicacies per se but yes you can still have your food delivered hopefully everything uh the, the, the source is very well controlled the source is very well sanitized when you do uh, receive your food don't eat it out of the package uh, wash your hands see if you can wipe out the package a little transfer it to a plate wash your hands again properly and then eat it.
0: that seems to oh. be a very valid answer which uh, I would like you. to add yeah Deepa go ahead
2: the expert is coming so no issues
0: yeah, I would like to
3: Add a particular point to this that uh, they're saying they're following WHO protocols, which dictates that they have to uh, wear gloves when they're delivering food and they have to wash their hands and check the temperatures every day. And I think most restaurants are following the temperature part of it, but the gloves, uh, what I noticed is they're using the same pair of gloves they use for another person, they're using the same pair of gloves throughout the day. What happens is, it gives a platform for the virus to settle down on. So, uh, this again can spread the virus further. So, what I would suggest again, as you guys mentioned, uh, sanitize the containers in which... If you do not have a way of transferring into another container, sanitize the container in which it comes. Or, uh, within the restaurant, it's easy to uh, predict. But outside, when they're going for delivery, you don't know what they're doing. So, better to not have it from that container. Uh, Transfer it to another container and then have it a container which you have yourself personally sanitized and as much as possible probably do not order outside till uh, everything is over Uh, probably do not order outside as much as possible but if there's no other go I guess you have to order from outside for example doctors uh, there are a lot of professionals who are working. Even now, and they don't have time to cook or doctors who are going to work and they don't have time to cook or all these policemen who don't have, they cannot even go home. Probably for those people, this is a feasible option. But again, uh, always, uh, you know, being cautious is always better than uh, openly uh, supporting it and ordering every day and eating from outside. That's what I would like to say from my side.
0: Uh, Aman has his hands raised for closing comments.
3: Yeah, I, I'm saying learn to cook. You know, <laughs> it's it's
1: a very interesting, it's a very interesting thing. Uh, we have been talking about getting bored and mental, ed- a lot of things. Cooking is a very interesting activity to do. I know initially you will there will be disasters in the kitchen, but uh, you know like uh, you will learn a, a very important life skill. I mean, if you know cooking, you can survive anywhere.
0: Okay. And that is how I guess you can Amant, literally Freyaz, survive anywhere. Yeah, and that is how I guess Aman shreyas and me we have been surviving for months together. Uh, now cooking at our own.
1: Uh, and yeah,
2: if, oh, if anybody wants to have, if yeah, if anybody wants a proper recipe to cook, ask Fuleman Seth for his uh, biryani. Did you do matam biryani the other day? It was so probably will give you an insight. <laughs> yeah. I made a oh, lot of things wonderful. this past two weeks. <laughs>
1: That's
3: wonderful. I'm- And uh, the biryani recipe I want from you, Sulaiman.
0: Yeah, it's definitely coming up today evening. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so Yeah, uh,
1: I would like to add that biggest achievement of my lockdown has been making round rotis. (laughs) It is a very difficult skill to master.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So just two more questions before we wrap up this podcast. Uh, This is another interesting question which a friend of mine has asked. So, they want to know that uh, whether there are chances for reinfection of coronavirus in patients who have already been treated with novel coronavirus.
3: Yeah, so uh, the thing is right now they are saying till now uh, there has not been any case of corona positive patient who has turned negative, has again gone back to being positive with coronavirus. Till now it has not been reported unless there is another source of infection so if a patient who has been treated for coronavirus has been kept in isolation still without coming in contact with other active patients the patient usually does not develop the disease and even if he does become corona positive again he does not develop any symptoms or any um, actual viral load it is only present uh, initially and again goes back down which means there is an immunity which has developed within the person uh, towards the coronavirus so as of now what they're saying that Is immunity developing, but uh, it is too early to say whether it's a lifelong immunity, whether it might uh, re-emerge because we do not have, we have have not had enough time to look into it. But currently uh, what the consensus is that no, there is no reinfection uh, of a patient who's already been uh, positive and has been treated for coronavirus. Till now, there has not been any reinfections.
0: Okay. That seems to be a valid answer. But Deepak, I'm also coming across one uh, question live at the moment. Uh, It is my friend who is actually asking me about convalescent uh, plasma therapy, which is being used in Kerala.
3: Oh, well, a convalescent plasma therapy has been used for many diseases, and uh, it is basically a way of uh, replacing uh, the antigen which is present in your blood, which is causing all the immune reactions. And uh, reducing the severity of the disease. Again, it does not wipe out the virus completely from your body, but it reduces the severity of the disease.
0: So I guess that. Is so that is what future. it is being
3: used for. Correct.
0: I guess that is one more future avenue where uh, a lot of work is being done at the moment for therapeutic outcomes.
3: Yes, definitely yes.
0: And uh, as we are running out of time, I just have one last question uh, to wrap up on this, uh, which most of them are worried and uh, they are trying to get an answer to and the point over here at the moment is uh, what if people have other symptoms as well you know like for example uh, they have a body pain or you know they have uh, frequent headaches or they want to visit to an OP clinic they might have some chest pain they want to have a cardiac consultation what are the OP options that are currently available uh, throughout the country or at different parts of the city uh,
3: well, there, they have given they have given permission, uh, they have given permission to people with private clinics to treat these patients uh, if they are not looking at COVID patients. What they are telling is that if there is a possibility that COVID patients are being treated or the hospital has been exposed to COVID patients, then it is better for the normal population not to come into the hospital because of the risk of the infection spreading to them. So, right now, uh, what I can say from the hospital I'm working at right now, what we are doing is uh, we are not taking any OP cases, regular OP cases for headache or any other non-emergency case. But we are treating patients who are coming with, suppose, a heart attack or an RTA or patient is very severely ill. Then we are taking the patient and we are treating them in the emergency room and then uh, shifting them to the ward. Unless it is an emergency, if you have a headache, or you have a mild body pain or you have some muscle ache or something i would suggest definitely you will have someone in your family or a friend who is uh, able to to probably give you the treatment over the phone telephonic uh, there are many apps also which are coming up for telephonic uh, treatment options which which is especially important right now because more, the most important thing is to reduce the exposure of the patient to the covid 19 virus so I would suggest if you have some family friend who is a doctor or a friend as such who is a doctor who uh, to call them and tell them that these are your symptoms and what medicine to take can you tell me and right now doctors are being advised to give treatment over the phone which is not a very popular thing uh, before this outbreak because basically it was uh, you know the revenue was being lost so they were saying not to do it but now because there is no other option they're saying telephonic conversations and um, giving treatment over the phone is way more safer than making the patient come to the hospital or come to the clinic and see the doctor because it increases the chances of exposure to the covid virus
0: that's wonderful uh deepak like we have almost come to the end of the session uh, so i would like to ask you if you have any closing comments on the Topic which we discussed uh, today. I guess Treas wants to finish one point before that. Uh, he's been waiting for yeah, quite
2: I some would. time. Treyas? Yeah, I have, I have. One, one question of my own. Um,
0: please, please. Can a ahead.
2: person? Yeah. Can a person who was infected and and has uh, subsequently recovered uh, uh, from SARS coronavirus one, the 2002 strain? Uh, be infected by this current strain?
3: Uh, yes, they can because it is it is although it is a little similar. It is not very similar There are probably the there is a partial immunity towards the SARS-CoV-2 from the SARS-CoV-1, but not complete immunity. So as uh, probably a lower viral load will not uh, affect the person. But uh, when the viral load, which is people are coming in contact with, Uh, Normal people who develop the infection, they will definitely develop the infection. It does not provide any immunity as such.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Deepak, your final comments on today's session. And uh, also do let me know how was your uh, uh, interaction in regard to this topic. And what is your experience on being uh, with me on Talk with with Suleiman? Well,
3: well, I always have fun talking with uh, people who like to uh, contradict uh, statements being made. And I always like to have a, you know, um, a nice discussion, uh, uh, in detail discussion about things, which is not very easy for me to have. So I was very happy that you uh, invited me to join your uh, group of uh, friends and we could talk for so long about something which I'm very passionate about right now because I'm involved with it and um regarding my experience with the uh, coronavirus uh, all i have to say is always uh with coronavirus especially prevention is always better than cure so um in my hospital when we get a patient with fever uh, and uh, they actually the uh, the infection is so serious that they are trying to prevent uh hospitals which have not already taken in patients from taking more patients uh, they are sending all these Uh, ...patients to government hospitals so that the private colleges do not need to deal with the coronavirus infection. And uh, so only the hospitals are already taking in the cases are taking in the cases. Only the spillover cases are even being sent to even a premier institutions uh, like the one I'm working at. So um, what I would like to say is that the disease is so severe that uh, even the government is trying to prevent... ...hospitals from being exposed to the disease. So, it is that serious and it is that communicable. So, uh, what I would like to say as a closing statement is unless you're working as a police officer or a, a sanitation uh, officer, or are you working as a medical officer, uh, please uh, just stay at home and stay safe and make the job easier for the people who are putting their life at risk for you.
0: That's a wonderful uh, comment from you, Deepak, and I really acknowledge that fact. Uh, Also, similarly, you know, there are people uh, who work for the livelihood essential services alone. uh, If they can have proper ways of transport and ensure that uh, they are able to reach their workplaces up and down without much of contact and ensure social distancing throughout their face and ensure that, you know, the daily livelihood is sustainable. I guess we can battle it out as well. So I also have two other colleagues and my best friends uh, to give their closing comments as well in alphabetical order, Raman.
1: As it was in the school. Uh, So I'm uh, okay. Uh, One of the most important things is that uh, make sure that your information uh, sources are right for this particular disease because uh, most of them are getting uh, the information from uh, non verified sources on social media and uh, you know like uh, instagram and people have a lot of theories about this particular disease we already discussed one of th- those things and uh, i would say please uh, uh, if you want good verified information uh go to who's website or go to ministry of health of india's website that would be a much better verified information source i know people want to know a lot about this disease uh there are many uh videos on youtube by doctors who will explain you exact uh you know like uh you know the flow of how this uh Disease happens, but uh, it's a very long thing. You need patients, You need like four five hours per day. I know people want uh, have a lot of things to do in their lives right now, but uh, you know, like uh, if you want good information, go to WHO's website or uh, Ministry of Health's website because ultimately these two entities are uh, you know uh, they have this uh, thing to uh, take care of people in this epidemic. Uh, they, that's their priority right now. So the information they will give to you is way much valuable than any other source you would see. And plus, you can also hear this podcast anytime you want. Yeah. Uh,
0: that is one thing. And uh, last closing comments from Fares.
2: Yeah, uh, I would like to paraphrase the the more currently famous uh, British American in India, John Oliver.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Best time not to be a racist. This is a general advice. Don't be a racist. Northeast Indians are also Indians. Don't be racist against them. Uh, I've been coming across a lot of news uh, here in, in Germany that uh, a lot of Indians are treating uh, Northeast Indians, doctors, the nurses uh, pretty much discriminately. So Don't be rude. Don't be racist. It's gentle advice, but more important for this current scenario. And don't be stupid as well. Uh, maintain good uh, uh, overall hygiene and general all hygiene. Um, Maintain good, uh, uh, yeah, wash your hands, stay safe, stay indoors, don't uh, venture out. Just because the roads are empty, don't go and don't take your Marth 800 and try to do a you know, donut. This is also not good. We don't want uh, hospitals to be brimming up with accident patients as well. Stay safe at home. Don't do any WWE stuff with your, your siblings as well. Uh, lots of do's and don'ts. But yeah, in in, in in a nutshell, don't be stupid, don't be racist.
0: Okay. Uh, thank you, Aman. Thank you, Shreyas. Thank you, Deepak, for joining along. It was a wonderful session. And I would also like to specifically thank uh, uh, both my close friends, Aman and Shreyas, for constantly motivating me to come back again with Talkathon series. Uh, it had almost diminished for quite some time. So here we are. Uh, Once again back with Talkathon and uh, thank you both guys for always staying along with me and ensuring we can do this. And here, uh, this episode is dedicated to your uh, efforts in making me doing it again. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Thank you Deepak for joining in today. It was wonderful uh, having you along uh, after a very uh, long time since we departed from school. Thank you for coming back as a part of this uh, session and giving your insights from the ground level experience on handling uh, corona so in case you have any questions in case you have any questions that you want to bring up regarding this topic or you have uh, any further comments to be added you can definitely send it along to us i will ensure that you know we find some way to respond back to you uh, thank you for your lovely support in listening until the very end and being a part of Talkathon family. Thank you once again, thank you once and one and all. Thank you. Goodbye, stay safe and ensure that you're all uh, having a good social distancing being maintained all around. Thank you, thank you once again. Bye.